0: Well, if you take your Bible and uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 18, um, we, we've been in a long, long series through the book of Acts. It's almost concluded and we will give you your certificate of authenticity that you are now an expert in the book of Acts. Uh, we split this up into sections as it naturally does in the book of Acts. We've talked about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and how important it is for us to walk In the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to live his life in us and through us. And then the second section... Uh, we tackled the power of the gospel. Uh, the, the church had one message. it was the Gospel of Jesus Christ right it, it is the the message of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. and Remember salvation is the power to save, the power to heal, and the power to deliver. Jesus used uh, the Greek word "sozo" in all three ways as he described his own ministry about the power of the church 's mission and we 're going to conclude that uh, section today and uh, but you can have the you know the power of the holy spirit inside of you you can have the powerful gospel message ready upon your lips and residing on this powerful mission with god but nothing will ever happen nothing will ever transpire outside of just what we have in our minds or maybe in our hearts until we get to the point of absolute surrender and so chapters 20 through 28 of acts is all about absolute surrender, and that's going to be the theme for the last four uh, messages in the book of Acts. So today's message is entitled, Confronting Culture. Confronting Culture. All of us are the products of our culture. Uh, For example, culture uh, makeup is your family. You all grew up in a family, and uh, so having grown up in a family, you you probably experienced some very... uh, Great things there. Maybe you experienced painful things and everything in between. But we all, you know, grew up in families and we grew up with extended families and we grew up around neighbors and we went to school with people, uh, all a part of our culture. And the culture deals with language and technology and music and uh, we grew up in. Now, here's really what I want to talk about today is be the relationship between the church and culture, uh, because uh, let's just uh, be frank about this, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, at least for me, uh, my life was steeped in things that were not healthy for me, uh, and uh, I, I was the product of some of that for my culture, and some of it were just decisions that I made. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus began changing my life. He began transforming my life. It wasn't like, uh, here's Greg uh, back then, and then, you know, I, I accepted Jesus, now my life the next day was just absolutely, completely different. No, it is a process of through my relationship with Jesus, and so my life was. Information is about uh, releasing God's spirit, God's presence to those around you. And so, as my life is changing, then other people things look at that; they can notice that and say, "You know what, uh, Greg, done a different direction." And there were some noticeable evidences that God had made a difference in my life. And so, the extent, the when the when you get saved, and, you, and then you was saved, and that's where I, you know, spent my first formative years as a believer in Christ, and then, you know, I went off work, took me out of state, and so then I was in other churches. So here, here's the question, is how does the church of God, who come from a completely different foreign culture, all right, a very interesting study for you to do is take Acts 2 and how Peter, a teen, and how Paul, addressed the Mesos Who were uh, idol worshipers who had so many idols, they even had one to an unknown God in case they forgot one. All right, so greatly religious. They prayed three times a day, they fasted often, they were in covenant with God. They they knew the so the way that Peter addressed that culture that group of people was far different than the approach that Paul took, who did not pray except to their their carved out idols, who who had no understanding about the things of God. None of that here. So if we are an Acts two church trying to reach an Acts seventeen culture, it never works and then we wonder why we can't reach the unbelieving world. Because something has to give, something has to change. The message is always the same, but the approach of the church in reaching those who are an Act 17 culture must be different than those who I'm reaching, for example, children who grow up in this church, who are used to being around religious things. You tell them to open up the Bible, turn to the Gospel of John. Most of our kids, they can do that. They know understand where that is. I've got a person who's an Acts 17 audience, and I say, hey, turn to the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. They're like, what is that? Who's Matthew? What? You get the point? So here's, here's the question is, how does the church adapt itself to be relevant to reaching this Acts 17 culture? Because if, if you haven't realized it by now, you're living in an Acts 17 culture in the United States. All right, there is very little biblical knowledge, if any at all. People, you know, they have very little religion, no understanding about him whatsoever, nor do they even think that he is even remotely relevant to their life. So the question, how am I going to reach that person with the message of Jesus Christ, the church? Or as Jesus put it, so how how do I live in the world without being like the world? Because some people say, well, the, re- the way that you reach the unchurched culture is just become like them. Well, just like them. They've need- lost your voice. You've lost your... Now, what has happened in the past in church history is that the church has swung the pendulum so far to the left that we risk, all right? So they, they, they're so fearful of being tainted by the world, they created a subculture. They have their own religion, their own language, their own everything because they don't want to be, you know... Um, Tainted by the world, they don't want. They don't want, uh, you know, the world's philosophy and the cultural things and the, the modernization of humanity. They don't want that infiltrating into their ranks. And it's amazing to me. that We think, well, but, you know, the Amish. That's so wonderful. I'd love to be Amish because you know everything's so just so simple and so pure, and and they never have any problems. It seems like. And it's, uh-uh. let me let me tell you, they have a. Wicked and deceitful heart, like anybody else. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Amish community that the world around, that most people don't know about, I'm telling you, and is always the same it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God to bring change and transformation in our lives. So we cannot just like you know. So a person comes off the street; they have never been to church before. If somebody invites them; they come in here. We're speaking a language they don't understand. We use code words they don't understand. Uh, we do all kinds of things. You know, used to women had to wear dresses and all those things. And so now here comes an unchurched person into the into the auditorium, and they're like, "Man, I'm not dressed right. I can't, I can't be here." And I used to hear that all the time. I don't care what you wear. And people will say, "Well, what, what do I have to wear? What do I have to wear? If I'm coming, to your church, what do I have to wear?" I don't care what you wear, show up. Right? So what is the one time of year that more people were receptive to an invitation to come to church than any other time of the year? Easter. What's the one time of the year that we dress ourselves to the hilt? (laughs) Easter. And then they come in when, when we've told them, I don't care what you wear, just show up. That would be me inviting you to a party, and you say, Greg, what should I wear? I don't care wherever you want. I just want you to come to the party. And you show up, and everybody there is in their tucks and in their dresses. How out of place would you feel? See, this is the cultural tension that we have to deal with. Jesus himself said, listen, you can't hang out with sinners. In fact, he hung out with them so much and ate with them and partied with them so much, he was accused by them of being a drunkard and a glutton. And so it was Jesus who confronted the Pharisees. If you'll recall in Luke chapter 15, he gave a parable about a, a prodigal son and his father and a couple other. Why? Because Jesus was trying to confront the church with saying, listen, listen, <laughs> you, 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 you've got to reach the culture. You've got to reach those who are in front of you. It doesn't mean you become like them, but the, the message is always the same, but the avenue by which you do, here's what I have, the utter change a lot of lost people. And if we're not careful, the church can become just as irrelevant. In the United States, for the last 18 years, the church is in a major decline. Could it be because we have the right message, we're just not adapting to the right method of becoming relevant as we are sharing that message? So that's what I want to talk about. I want to kind of dismantle um, some things here that we... We need to understand and look at if we're going to be culturally relevant with the message of Christ. Now, popular today, some people, you know, when they address this, they say, "Well, what? Uh, you know, if you want to reach culture, you got to remove all the hard edges about the cross and the blood of Jesus." And people start stripping that out of their hymns and their songs. And, and, and now, that's not what It's not about stripping the message of its teeth. You don't, you know. So a lot of people are like, "Well, you just can't talk about sin anymore. If you're going to reach people, you just got to talk about God." God's love and mercy and forgiveness and just come out and a lot about love. You know, it's going to be wonderful in your life from here on out. That's a false message, and we're, we're setting them up for failure. Or some say, well, you just can't press people up making a decision for Christ. Just give them lots and lots of time, and, and uh, if you're going to reach culture, you got to slow it down. After all, for some groups say, you know, if they are part of the elect, uh, they'll automatically come to faith in Christ. They just can't withstand that. It's called irresistible grace. And then there are others who say, well, you know, if we're really going to reach the culture, we've got to become really cool, right? So we, we've got to have the light shows and the light's going on. And I'm, I'm all about that kind of stuff. I, I'm all about setting up environments for... Um, uh, you, you know, for setting up environments in which God can show up. You know, and, and some say, "Well, you know, if you're a pastor now, we, we have to do with our pulpits and put a table, a chair. So you know, you got to have your Snapple up here, your Starbucks. I don't like Starbucks, so I got water. Okay, so I'm. I'm it's about the message. Uh, it's, it's not about whether. Right. So I, we need to know if I believe. I believe wholeheartedly that that we are in. You know. a times very rapidly and that there is a great harvest that is about to come. And for those who are prepared to be a part of that harvest, and it's going to look like something like the book of Acts. Just like the things that were going on. God's going to show up in signs and wonders and miracles. He's already happening around the world. And now it's happening in Georgia. Uh, Charisma Magazine has just put an article out on the church in, in uh, Georgia that, that the Spirit of God has just come down. I think of people are being uh, This is going to become more and more of the norm as God begins to send out his final. And so we need to be lost in dying world before. Right? I don't want to sit back and watch everybody else in on the action. I want to get in on the action. I don't know about you. And so this is what I noticed about the New Testament church all through the book of Acts. Listen, they didn't compromise the messages in order to be culturally relevant. They had a conviction in their heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They had the gospel in their hands and they put their feet into. The action, and that even those who wouldn't listen, and it didn't matter they, it didn't matter what the response was. Some believed and gave their life to Christ. Some rejected the message. Some rejected the messenger. The gospel of Jesus broke out in persecution. They would not stop. They would not shut up. They would not quit doing what God had called them to do because they realized that their goal is our goal, and our goal is to help people live and experience a Jesus-centered life. That's God's answer to the world, to every situation, to every problem. And so God understands that humanity has a a heart that is deceitful, a heart that is wicked, that is capable of doing horrendous things. And we see this all the time but it is God who can take that heart and make it brand new. It is God's heart is so, is so are seated, are, are, uh, impacted by the world around them and certainly by Satan who is overseeing all of this. Now, uh, we're going to talk about Satan here in a minute because he comes up in our chapter. But he, wants to, uh, he wants to deliver us, right? So he wants us to walk in freedom, the freedom of Jesus Christ. Jesus said freedom that we need is a mind issue. You see, your wacky emotions like depression, it all comes jealousy and thinking. When we get our minds right, we get our emotions of the way that you think are. And so Jesus says, "Listen, we let's get truth into having mastery over you." And in from those things, now that is a lifelong process. I piece of equipment that you need for that to happen, in life, and you can transfer it and be used by God ourselves. We learn, we experience, and then we already it. Everything you are searching for is by meeting Jesus, right? We got to meet Jesus that we're talking about. To God, Christianity is all about God reaching down to man, America and around the world, but not a lot of relationship with Jesus. And you can be really, in the first part of chapter 19, uh, we see three uh, examples of this where somebody is religious. So let's pick up in uh, chapter 19, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture, really, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly and explained to him the way of God, more adequately to him and wrote to the disciples, there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace heard that Jesus was the Christ. Now, there's a transaction that happens in the life of Apollo 27. Now, you'll notice Apollos. I mean, uh, Paul mentions him many times. He's he's now, I want you to notice about Apollos. It says that he was a learned man, which means he had, he had a lot of knowledge, he was competent in the scripture. Uh, uh, if you have a New American Standard, it says he was mighty in the scripture, which means he was strong and capable. It's also, it said, handle the word of God and hear it. In other words, we would say Apollos was fired up, man. He was fired up about the word of God and teaching it. And, and nobody wants to listen to us, Nobody wants to listen to a preacher who's bored with himself, right? So, um, That's that's a good place for amen. And and also he taught accurately. He's teaching accurately, it says, about the things of Jesus. So he knew about about Jesus. He knew what the Old Testament said about Jesus. And he was was proving with precision that Jesus was the Messiah among the next Billy Graham. I mean, he's the Billy Graham of the Old Testament, about to come forth. Apollos, Apollos at this point, is unsaved. He's religious lost he only knew about Jesus he never trusted in Jesus that's why Aquila and Priscilla he knew nothing about salvation I think that when Aquila and Priscilla brought them to his home they were saying listen you're falling short is your then short of accurate because he didn't know about the gospel up to this point Apollos. You have information in your head. You understand about the story of Jesus. You can tell me all kinds of facts about Jesus. You know a lot of stuff. You may be very religious, but you're not saved. And so uh, there's a transition that takes place in Apollos. And here's, here's the big trip up part of it is that Apollos, though, was sincere, right? He was very sincere in what he was doing. He wanted others to know that the Jews, he wanted them to know that Jesus was their promised Messiah, he just didn't, he had a part of the gospel, he didn't have the full gospel. And so, uh, verse 26, again, it says, they, they, they bring him to their home. They explain to him the way of God more adequately. Well, let, let's differentiate between John's baptism and believer's baptism. The gospel of John, he's out there saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John's baptism is an acknowledgment of salvation, we are identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, I, I hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in my Am I going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? It's never Jesus and something else. It is God let you into my heaven when you, you die and you stand before God. If you're going to pull out your book and say, well, I did all these things. I prayed to you all the time. Wrong eh, Wrong answer. The answer is Christ, I received Jesus, he accepted my account. The payment, you're, I am trusting in him and him alone for salvation. That's where Apollos had missed it. He's going after the Jews and saying, not only is Jesus Messiah, but now Jesus is my nation. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. One spirit that we are all baptized for a relationship you must answer the question. If you do, you are saved. For it's God's deposit in you, and He is going to be evidences that are inside of you. Um, like, but these these people are like, man, we've not even heard anyone. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is passing away, and what's becoming residence in you, coming new, right? In other words, it begins to change. And it's a change that begins maybe slowly, maybe rapidly, and it's a change that continues throughout your lifetime. I, me down. So I, am, I hear the same story all the time. It changed for me, and there was just like a guilt that was lifted off of me, the, the shame was released from my life, and I, it's like I got a brand new lease on life, and the, and the Spirit of God came inside of me, and, and all of a sudden, man, the word of an innate, insatiable desire to just go into the Word of God and read it, and, and I never see people, things I've seen before, and, and God hands and doing all that crazy stuff, I thought, these people are lunatics, but now all of a sudden I find myself doing the same thing. I can't, right? I can't believe it. I don't understand it. I don't even like you would understand that, that comment right there. So. <laughs> Hey, I may not sing well, but I'm going to do it. I used to be able to send my face off, and, and it didn't bother me one iota, and I, I didn't really care. And now all of a sudden, when I try to do the same things, I find that I, I can't do it anymore. There's just something inside of me. That's I just, now all of a sudden, I have this heart for and love for Scripture and worship, and God's changing my life. And, and like the fruit of the Spirit is just becoming evident. And then what's happened is in this person's life, they are evident, they have been born again. But when you give me a person who says, well, you know, back when I was about eight years old, I made a decision in church, and, uh, and yet and the people of God have no interest in, interest in the thing about God until they reach the end of their life, and then you ask them, say, well, you know what? You know, there is a God who loves you, and, and Jesus died for you. Oh, it's, don't worry about it. I've made my peace with God. Really? <sighs> you're going to have a hard time convincing me of that. Now, I'm not a judge. I'm not God. I'm not anybody's judge. But there are evidences that come about at, when a person gives their life to Christ. And so, you know, I can't, you know, at this 25 years after John is beheaded by Herod, here are still disciples of John out there. They not even heard about the Holy Spirit. I find that remarkable. So notice what happens. <laughs> and they answer, no, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. He's and Jesus, who's coming after me, right? John the Messiah. He's your hope, uh, and so on. Hearing this, they were baptized into the name of Christ. They they they've made this decision. They're baptized in, in the name of Christ. Paul placed his hands on the Holy Spirit, and so prophesied. Two evidences of the Holy Spirit, and so it was. It was God's way of saying, just like when John, you know, when when God wanted to fire up the Jews. You know, the Holy Spirit came in a very dramatic way. When God wanted to reach out to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came in a very dramatic way. When God wanted to reach out to the Samaritans, the Holy Spirit came on them in a very dramatic way. When God wants to reach out to these disciples of John, the Spirit comes on them in a very dramatic way to say to us, yes, now they have been born again. They have met Christ. So my point is that religion is not enough. You must choose You must choose to embrace God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, if you want to be saved. Amen. That's our message, right? So this is what we're out to share in the world. And so then there, you know, if you followed the rest of the chapter, I'm going to move on. Um, there were those who were hardened in our hearts, you know, they were obstinate, and they just like didn't, because I get this all the time as a pastor. Uh, people who, who grew up in churches, like, um, you know, conversion experience with Christ, People say to me all the time, you know, Pastor, I'm just not sure that I am not I am saved. I've struggled with this all of my life, and uh, maybe you've come down the aisle and you've you've signed a card four or five times, you've been baptized two or three times, Uh, and every time somebody, you know, another pastor or preacher gets up there, or maybe an evangelist during a revival, and and God starts convicting your heart, and you immediately go back to, you know what, I don't know if I'm saved, I just really don't, and so you've been struggling with this all of your life, and and you're really not sure, so I want to dispel that for you, okay? I want to help you understand of God how to know. That you know, all right, brilliant, right, ink pen. All right, here's what I know, and this is what scripture bears out. You know, the apostle Paul would say a bunch of things, shall never inherit the kingdom of God. And so this is what oftentimes, for me, caused me uh, doubt. It was like, well, man, I've done it. And so I really feel guilty and convicted or somebody to be preaching. And, and so they give the issue of salvation. And they say, Christ, like 25 times, pray this. Fire. And how many, uh, as a teenager, because they always feel convicted. So here's how you know. All right, let's say that this ink pen represents. My, and the direction is, the default of my life was. they're me quite frown or hurt her in some way. That may have bothered me from God. Really I wasn't that interested in the lost young man. I'm a lost teenager sitting in church. I, so what I tried to do is I tried to be good. I'm trying to push the north of my life around this way. Stop my pot smoking. Uh, so willpower doesn't last very long. And so I get uh, you know this this whole Christian thing. It's too it's on. And then all of a sudden I have an encounter with Christ, right? I experienced Jesus, and God has flipped the north side of my life this way. And so now, guess what? I also drug into this new relationship my old habits, right? My old lifestyle, my old thought path. The gravitational pull of my life is like going back to over here, and I can't wait till it swings back this way. Does that make sense? What person? You feel more comfortable over here. You try to live the Christian life without Jesus and the Holy Spirit over here. You give your life to Jesus and God flips that to living. What Paul was saying was in those lists that he would list off is listen, if the North Star of your heart is in that and you can't wait until it flips back. But if I'm lost and I'm doing those things, man, that's where, where is the North Star of my life and the direction? Listen, because you can be all kinds to of pray. I had all kinds of religion all over me, but I was lost. You are saved or lost. Listen, you're happy, religious, but lost. You need to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ. That is our message. We are help people to meet Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two is by following Jesus. By following Jesus, you'll notice what it says. God did extraordinary, verse 11, extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And you want to circle that, evil spirits. Some Jews who were, went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say Jewish chief priests were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus bad plan. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and bleeding. Now that's embarrassing. And he gave them such a beat. Well, um, Paul, Paul healed, and as God he is some incredible who are demonized, free from demonic oppression, demonic possession, whatever you buy, and so these individuals are controlled by the Holy Spirit, and Paul is calling those demons over, and so here are seven sons of the high priest, and they're thinking to themselves, well, you know what? If Paul can do that by invoking the name of Jesus, why don't we get into this business? I think we probably can make some money. Because even in, the, in Paul's day and time in the New Testament era, anytime someone was casting evil spirits out of someone, they always did so in the name of some deity. The problem is it didn't work because the deities were false, right? They're false gods. But now all of a sudden, Paul comes along and he seems to have a mastery over the demonic world and they're intrigued. Hey, let's try this out, <laughs> And so they come across this guy, and, and so I, I love how the, the demon's just, the, the, the demonic says, uh oh, Paul's up, we're in trouble, we need to stay away. We don't know what the text says. It says the demonized power on him to whip up on all seven of them and send them out bleeding and naked. About spiritual warfare. You need to understand that Satan is real. Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. He's known by many names that reveal something about his character. It's against us, a devil, 35 times. It means to slander, that he slanders you before God, tempter, Beelzebub, ruler of this world, prince of power of the air, father of lies, serpent, dragon. You are mentioned 250 times. That means that Satan is mentioned in the New Testament more than one. But get this as a follower of Jesus, who has no power. And that's the part of being set enemies. You have the world, you have Satan, and you have the flesh. The flesh is your you know, into your relationship with Christ, all these thought patterns. Here, you know, Satan is powerful. Peter says predator because the lion always caught its prey. Well, you know, Jesus is so powerful uh, today. He is just as he was very active in the... ...be demon-possessed. It's the writings. It's added by translators. The is actually demonized. Can a Christian be Paul demonized? And the answer is absolutely they can. Paul talks about this all the time, opening up, giving Satan a foothold in your life, giving him control of your life. That's why he talked about tearing down strongholds, mental strongholds that were, there are fortresses areas in your life from which he operates in order to govern and control your life. And so if he can keep you filled with fear and filled with worry and filled with anxiety and filled with all these things, they are mental strongholds, thought patterns that are keeping you entrenched in these emotions that keep you caged up. And all that is not trying to prop up your emotion. It's not like getting up in the morning and saying, you know, I really feel depressed today. I really need to, you know, I, I'm going to look for something to to do that's going to make me feel a little happier today. And that might be a band-aid for your depression, but it is not the answer to your depression. The answer to your depression is to tear down the mental stronghold that got you there in the first place. So we're going to spend a lot of time on strongholds, okay? Because you don't have to live that way. We all battle those things. And I'm not saying anything negative about you because you battle those things. I'm just here to say that Jesus can give you victory over it. He can enable you to live a different kind of life. And so the point is a believer cannot be controlled by Satan against his will. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. The only ground Satan has in your life is what you give him. And one of the keys... One of the biggest ways you give him ground and foothold in your life, Jesus talked about this often, is through unforgiveness. Man, you've just opened a door wide open for him. Paul talked about it in Ephesians 4. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 18. Uh, that, that is a huge door, open door for him. And so um, Paul told Timothy to correct those who are in error the so that they may not know. In 2 Timothy 2.26. Paul warned him, giving over to deceitful spirits and, and uh, degrees of demonization. All of which have to allow that to master your life. Just with more than that, choose to emulate the ways of Christ, to the the fruit of Christ, the fruit of this Jesus, all wrapped up in so much anxiety about you know even facing the cross. See, so I can go on the li- down the list. How much greed was in the heart of Jesus? How much jealousy? Then if I have the mind of Christ, then I will live out the emotions of Christ and I can defeat those things where Satan sure I can have mastery over them. And once you are equipped with handling that whenever your fear hits me, I know what to do with it. You hurt and you're angry, Anger is a secondary emotion. It's always fueled by, falls into resentment and resentment, bitterness and bitterness, unforgiveness. And there are many of God's people, seed of the heart. We'll rationalize it. We will just we'll make it a family heirloom if we have to because we do not want to submit that. So let, let's talk about Jesus's, Jesus over your strongholds. And I'm a Christian, but there's also a way to entertain your flesh. And it grieves God's spirit. And if you're not careful, as you're pleasing your flesh, say that I'm, I'm what happened, And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm just entertaining myself with things that I know that are unhealthy. and it really makes me convinced God would have for me uncomfortable. And so, uh, you know, I'm, but now watch this. If over time, you continue to grieve the spirit and quench the spirit over time it's going to feel more and more comfortable to you because you can't hear his convicting voice any longer and that is a very dangerous place to be in because I come telling you your your enemy the evil one has set a trap out here and he has baited that trap and he's going to drop little morsels to get you into that trap and once you're in that life and you are in that god can't erase so it's a very dangerous place for us we all love entertainment um, you know, we love to go to movies, all those kinds of things. I'm just saying, listen, entertainment, you are not carrying up if you're feeding the in your life. Number two is unbelief. Just a refusal to believe and act upon God's word. You know what his word says, and you say, well, you know what? <laughs> I know what he says, but I'm not going to do it. yourself up for a stronghold. Well, right. Uh, we studied in our men's group about Solomon. Solomon had, had a weakness with women. God said, it for me, well, you know what Solomon said? Why is this man in the world? In fact, I'm going to marry Pharaoh's daughter because I feel like it's a wise thing to do. It's going to make an alignment with our enemy so they're no longer our enemies anymore. It's all going to be what? Well. So now, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines later, guess what happened? They dragged Solomon's heart away from God. Not only did they drag his heart away from God, he built altars to their foreign gods, to, to Moloch and Kamash and all these gods that that believed in and taught and and participated in child sacrifice that's how hard that's how far you can go through a satanic stronghold so you've got to beware Uh, yeah unforgiveness number three I've already mentioned that so we're going to move on to number four and that is finance people are in bondage to finances there's no financial margin in their life, and, and, the time and you're always comparing yourself with others. And then you begin living out in the, I, I will be happy when syndrome. Years or whatever, I, I don't know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have it because I, I want it. And uh, keeping the stronghold, it says three things. You gave, give it away. You give it away. That's to coveting. The antidote to selfishness and self-centered, nothing brings greater joy to my heart than to help somebody financially and just see how that takes some pressure off their life brought up in a situation that, that is. So you know that, you understand that, you get that as a follower of Jesus who holds because your life will be miserable. And by the way, number one cause of divorce, various times of your life, there's varying financial margin, right? So if you're a single parent, I get it. I grow. But um, as financial margin grows, truth quest, I'm on a happiness quest. And so as my five, eight, my, my level of living, all these things that come along with that. happen. What's up ahead? Am I going to be okay? Sound mind, right? Right? Yes. So uh, these are with... Throughout the course of our lifetime. And so Jesus wants to enable us to walk in these areas of strongholds. Placency is not enough. You must choose to engage in his mission. So we don't have time to read the scripture, but in the remaining of uh, chapter, Paul's out in this beginning in 23, there is so many people are getting saved that now all the, you know, Demetrius, who's a silversmith, he's getting all fired up because now he's losing business, he's, he's an idol maker. And uh, losing big a riot erupts. And I, and I love what it says about this, a riot. It's, this is so America. Verse 32. Most of the scene, uh, you know, uh, some kind of picketing going on and, and, you know, some kind of riot. And, and you know, see cash on? I don't interview people. Well, why are you here? Right? So this is all going on. And so now uh, they have a meeting. And finally, you know, like the... <laughs> The town mayor steps up and says, listen, this is just not, this is not good, <laughs> right? So we're going to get ourselves in trouble, so let's just kind of go away from the riot. So what is the purpose of the riot? The purpose of the riot is Satan's way of shutting down the witness of the church, all right? Satan will do all that he can to disengage us from the mission, everything he can. It doesn't matter to Satan if you and I come to church, we sing hallelujah to Jesus, we quote Bible, we learn for Christ as he called us to be on mission for him by making disciples. Satan could care less what we do. Listen, he can't steal your soul, right? You are sealed by the holy souls in your life through strongholds, but more than that, he wants to shut down the mission of the church. If we're not out there sharing the message and nobody's giving their life to Jesus, God, seeing them come into his kingdom. Now, I know that there's a group who say, well, you know, if they're the elect, they're the elect, they're going to come to faith in Jesus one way or the other, and on and on it goes. Well, that's not what the early church was doing. Is that why Paul was risking his life? Getting Man, I'm going to go find me a condo somewhere and prop up my feet on the beach and live my life out the rest of my years. Why in the world do I want to continue going through these beatings and shipwrecks and all this other stuff that's happening of Here's what the Bible says. Our world is in a season of acceleration towards two momentous events, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the greatest hour of pressure, persecution, trouble in all of history. Isaiah 62 says, For the darkness shall cover the earth and the deep darkness of the peoples, but the Lord shall rise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. And so the birch, we'll walk away from the mission, we're going to walk away from the faith because of these four reasons, fear, offense, that I've been offended, I've been offended by Jesus, I've been offended by others within the church, I have a spirit of offense and I can give you scriptures for all these Lust. Lust is a big one, and this one is really hammering away at the church, and you've heard me talk about this before, the pornography industry and how the effect it is having upon the church, and so if the Bible speaks about this, how there'll be... Carousing and drunkenness, carousing means to self indulgence. It speaks of immorality. And uh, the day will, when the day comes, percentages are just like skyrocketing because it is so, ex- you know, it's so um, accessible through the internet. And, and now it's just like younger and younger kids, A epidemic in our country and in our churches because the percentages are no better in the church. The problem is, we're not talking about this in the church. With our kids, stronghold in their life that may take them their lifetime to try to overcome. And it may lead to things that will, they'll engage themselves in. that. And if we think that it's not happening, we are being naive because it is. And then the fourth one is deception. False prophets, deceptive purposes, trying to reorient social. They claim to excel in love, all the values of, uh, uh, but it's, it's escalating. Fear, offense lust, deception that will result in believers falling to the end, God helping others to meet Jesus, to follow Jesus. What would it look like? In other's church, if every single one of us said, "You know what, God? I'm going to mount up. I'm going to suit up with the armor of God, and I'm going to storm the gates of the quiet. I'm not going to be obnoxious, and I'm not going to browbeat people. But I'm going to come at them in a good, way, and I'm just going to kind of like leave Jesus and let the love of Christ leak out of me and give you the opportunity to open a door that I might share the message, so that I can help." Son- what would this church look like? In a year from now, if that is what our mindset was, every single day we rose out